Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It is Thursday night, which means I have a fan-freaking-tastic guest. I can hear your audio, by the way. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I have a fan-freaking-tastic guest for y'all tonight. We're going to talk about... Um, one of the most depressing subjects I usually do recurringly throughout the year on this show, which is children. Um, how different systems target children. I think I, we did a couple episodes on pedophilia, whether it be um, certain organizations who included it versus, you know, certain organizations that are targeting it, targeting it. Um, and then tonight we're going to talk about uh, the foster care system and the, abomination which is the american foster care system so but before we get to that um couple of things i want to do uh you can find us on all these platforms twitch facebook youtube apple podcast google podcast twitter anchor and spotify we go live on four of them which four you have to guess that's your problem find us LP Veterans Caucus, leading veterans to libertarian solutions, leading libertarians to veteran issues. I did that backwards, but it still works. Uh, you can find all of our merch on the website. What's the website? It is right here, notarealpodcast.com. You can get t-shirts like Ban Exorcism, Life Begins, or, yeah, Life Begins at Possession, uh, Ban Assault Government, because, you know, the most dangerous thing in your life is assault government. Um Let's see. Libertarian Party, hashtag Anarchy Loop since 1971. Ban exorcisms again. Also, we have two brand new sponsors this week. Uh, one that you wouldn't think that someone like myself would get a sponsorship for. But we did get a new sponsor for NWA's new album, Fucking the Police. <laughs> if you haven't heard... <laughs> About the insane story from Laverne, Tennessee. Uh, this woman single-handedly took down half the police department. And it's in the simple way that you would Went think. down on half the <laughs> Yeah, we're going to cover that Sunday night. Also, a new sponsor of ours. Gasstoves.com. Oh, oh ghoststoves.com. I can't read. Uh, for when they ban stoves, gas stoves, and you need a gas stove. Hookup. You got the hookup. You got the illegal black market for gas Your stoves. Serial number. 3D printed gas stoves. I'm sure it works out fine. Plastic does not melt. Um, that is a fact I've seen it on Facebook. So it has to be true. <laughs> Anyways. Oh, my deliriousness is pouring through but that's fine that's fine it's totally fine it, it is what it is um but anyways i'm going to go ahead and we're going to kind of change gears we're going to get serious and we're going to talk about a very serious subject with an awesome individual kayla muskies i'm fairly certain i said that correctly she's smiling and nodding so i assume i did um she is an author an activist she's got a bill on the in the senate right now the hill has done articles on her this woman is fucking phenomenal. She does a lot of great work, and she's got an amazing story she'd like to share with everybody. So uh, welcome, Kayla. Hi. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being on. Uh, I honestly mean that. Yeah. 
So yeah, um, you mentioned a couple of things. I do have a petition. It's addressing um, our president, Joe Biden, to kind of crack down a little bit on uh, private and public sector uh, congregate care facilities. So these congregate care is like a word that's used to describe a type of placement for children. Um, you don't have to be in foster care to be in one of these congregate care facilities, but it is used in the foster care system a lot for placement. So if you, you don't have any foster homes or homeless shelters, step down programs available, you, you see a lot of these children in the foster care system winding up in residential treatment centers, uh, lockdown facilities, psychiatric centers. And that's basically what the troubled teen industry is about. If anybody's ever heard about the troubled teen industry, um, it's a for-profit industry that's a billion dollar, I can't remember how, how many billions, but it's a billion dollar industry where, you know, um, they profit off of like troubled teens, any any teenagers or, you know, even younger children that exhibit signs of um, like just behaviors that might seem odd, like maybe they don't fit in, they have social anxiety, um, maybe they have issues with drugs or um, there's other things like personally for me, I had a mother who passed away in a car accident and then, you know, I, I fell into the hands of a pedophilic, you know, father, like biological father. He wasn't really part of my life until my mom passed away. So um, it was very short lived, like the experience with my dad, but he, it was a very abusive experience. And what I learned from like asking for help in that situation was I was just trading one traumatic environment from my dad to another one in the foster care system that our government runs so to me it's just like oh these people are here to help but they're they're inadvertently just causing more trauma like adding another layer to foster children specifically um when you put them through the process of being conditioned in treatment programs like this because we're, we're medicated were neglected, sometimes overly medicated. So there can be some medical malpractice going on. Um, and, you know, if, if the kid does anything to cause trouble, it's just easy to kind of scapegoat the foster kid and then move them to another facility. Um, with people who have parents that are in these places, it's kind of like you have to get permission from the parent and there has to be signatures and write-offs and, and all of this. So it's a little bit harder um to jump around if you're not a foster kid in these placements and i think what people should really focus on is that your tax dollars are actually paying for this type of abuse so um what what you see is that like when kids transition out of foster care they don't know how to function in society because they're cut off of medicaid they're cut off of social security they're cut off of all the government assisted programs that the foster care system was leeching off of to reimburse themselves as a state to pay for the cost of these children. And um, yeah, most kids are covered by Medicaid and Social Security. Uh, that's another federal revenue of money. And then on top of the state check that the foster parents or placement gets. So that's like three federal revenues of taxpayer dollars that are being funneled into 
this very corrupt and abusive. I think it's just exploitatious. You know, they, they know the vulnerable families. They know the vulnerable kids. They know Wait, how so, to exploit them. Yeah. So, like, foster placement, they get three separate checks. So a Medicaid check or a Medicare check, a uh, Social Security check, and then the, like, whatever, I guess you'd call the base salary for fostering kids? Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. The taxpayer is paying for all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Kids are being exploited and abused. Um, sometimes we're sent out of state. I was sent to Utah and North Carolina. And anytime the kid is sent out of state, the taxpayer has to pay three to five times more, if not more, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and that's like $34,000 a year just to have a contract on that kid's placement. So we're, we're literally having, it's almost like indentured servitude. <laughs> like if you think about it, cause we're having contracts made on our, on our heads and we're not consenting to any of it. So. And they don't really ask y'all for your opinion on anything, do they? They're just like, Oh, here you go. We're moving you over here. Yeah. Yeah. You don't wow. really have a say. So, um, most of the time you're not even told. So you're, I mean, you hear many stories of other other people. I experienced it once when I was out of state in Utah. I was picked up from one facility at like 12 o'clock at night, and I didn't get to the next facility until like 4 o'clock in the morning. So they drove, like, they, they picked me up in the dead of night, put handcuffs on me, and shackled, like, the handcuffs on my ankles, took my shoes, my socks, put me in a van, drove me, like, hours away, it was from Hurricane Utah to uh, Syracuse, Utah. And these are transporters. Like, these are people who are paid. It's a, it's another business that's attached. It's like a third What? You know, Why did they handcuff you? You're a run risk. You could be violent. You could be whatever the treatment centers, you know, there's precautions and policies that they, they often follow. And they generalize every kid. And if you're a foster kid, oh, you're, you're even more intimidating, you know, so... It's kind of just like the treatment that you get because you are a ward of the state, you know. So they don't. So, so basically, I mean, the go the government, as we know, doesn't do tailored programs. They just generalize everything because it's lazy policy. But I, I mean, so I think in the the, the Hill article that uh, Susie's going to drop in the the comments there. You had talked about um, the first time you went to a treatment center, you were 12 in Texas, correct? Yeah, I was being um, evaluated after my mom's death and my dad's abuse in the um, in that little short span time. The state was actually having a lawsuit with my mom's death. Um, and so the state under under stipulations of the lawsuit for the settlement my my maternal grandparents were advised to get me and my sibling treatment because if we didn't get mental treatment then that would be medical neglect and they could terminate my grandparents rights well shared custody because they didn't really have full custody but the government like basically in the courts held it over my grandparents and like basically blackmailed them and was like, if you don't get them mental help, then we're just going to terminate your rights and say that you're medically neglecting your grandchildren. So 
they had like I guess for a lack of better term, I guess joint custody with the state, but the state still retained all custody and all rights. Yeah, that's what conservatorship is. I'm sure many people have heard it, you know, recently with Britney Spears, but conservatorship is shared custody. And you're making the decisions for somebody who is not mentally capable of making it for themselves. And we're minors, so we need adults to represent us anyway. So so it's in a way very similar to how I guess I don't I don't know a lot about it, so I'm learning all of this fresh. So pardon me if this is way off track, but like I guess the big push why private prisons were a bad idea is the same concept because there is no incentive to keep people out of prison when these corporations are then turning around giving politicians money to keep the system going. Exactly. So when you hear the family separation system, that's basically what foster care has become. They've they've made an industry, a a for-profit industry off of separating and keeping families separated. Not only just at the border, when you hear, like, I I lived on, I'm from the border. I'm from Indian Lake, Los Fresnos, Brownsville, McAllen, Harlingen, that whole Rio Grande Valley, you know, border from Mexico is like it that is crazy but we're doing that to our own kids here in america as well so and they're doing that with your tax dollars too so i mean yes. not efficiently either yeah yeah <laughs> so money's money you know so i kind of want to dive into this a little bit um so your grandparents were around and I, they, it sounds like they wanted custody of you, but the state basically said, get lost. Is that kind of accurate? I think the state just put a lot of barriers in front of them. Yeah. And, and made it as hard as possible to, for us to actually like come together and even mourn the passing of our mom, you know, like, it was just like, oh, we have to do a court date. We have to do this. We have to take you to the doctor. We have, and anytime that they caught my grandparents slipping up, it was like, okay, you're too old. No, you may not be fit, you know, to take care of these young, you know, ladies. And, we're, you know, we need to come and help you. And it was under the guise of aid, you know, but I think people should be very cautious. Um, that's when you should become very conservative when it comes to your family and your kin and your, you know, your tribe of people that you want to protect. You should always make sure you have a talk with your family. Like even now to this day, like I have talks with my nieces and my nephews from like my boyfriend's side of the family. Um, you know, don't when if anybody comes asking questions, you know, you don't you don't talk unless mommy or daddy is there. You don't you don't talk without somebody from the family present. You know, like it's it's kind of weird to have those conversations with children, but like I have to do that because of the trauma that I've had in my family, like with the state. Well, and um, the government understands that too. Like, like you, like a child answers the door, you ask them a bunch of questions. If you're wearing a badge, they're taught in school. Police are the good guys, which in in a lot of cases is not true because if they're just showing up and asking questions, they know that they're going to get these answers out of these kids, and typically. Like, I've got a six-year-old and a four-year-old. I asked my six-year-old a question, like, where's daddy? Um, I don't know. I'm in the next room. He's like, I don't know. He left. Like, 
it's, it's stuff like that. But they 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 feed on that innocence that children have, and government always has. Government is always fed on innocence of people, people who want to do the right thing. Um, we look at we, and one thing I talked about, and this will kind of segue back into it. You look at how the military set up, right? Like you got all these kids that enlist, not from wealthy families typically. They're kids from really low income households. That are being taken advantage of because they're like, hey, free college. We'll get you a Camaro at 39.8% APR for the next 300 years. And then you look at the foster care system, or we'll even talk about something else I've discussed before the adoption system in the United States. It costs around $10,000 to adopt a kid in the United States. But yet, you know, we talk about there's this epidemic of kids, you know, without homes. Well, yeah, because the system isn't designed to put these kids in good homes. I have preached, I said, we cannot ban abortion. It doesn't solve anything. Make adoption cheaper. Put kids in homes of people that actually want these kids. Same-sex couples, make it easier for same-sex couples to adopt. Uh, transgender couples, I don't I don't give a shit. They, they show an interest in actually raising children um, in a non-abusive home. Make it so cheap, like I'm talking maybe a hundred bucks with all the paperwork and um and that's that's all it should be it shouldn't cost thousands of dollars to adopt a child i mean at this point you're basically buying a person at 10 grand which i thought we abolished in the 1800s but i apparently not well how come we can pay private and public and religious organizations stipends and social security checks and you know we they can they don't have to worry about medical bills or any but as soon as you adopt a kid or mention about adopting there's no programs there's no i mean i'm sure there's some but like there's so much paperwork and the access to actually get that service or that voucher or that discount or whatever it's so hard to access that um so people just like they they do foster to adopt i know a lot of like placements do fostering to adopt and as long as the kid's been with you for so long, then you kind of bypass all the, but they're basically with you the entire adoption process. So you're not paying for the expedition of the paperwork to own that individual. Um, it's been like a slow process that the kid has integrated into the household type of thing. And I've only known a few and far and in between people who have actually done that successfully without actually turning the kid back into the foster care system. So a lot of my foster siblings, like they were adopted, but their parents threw them back into the system. So it's like, how come, but you get to claim them on your taxes. And even though the government and the taxpayer is paying for that kid in foster care, you, you still get to make money off of that kid that you adopted. And like, those are just things like as a foster kid and I'm an orphan. So like, I would just be like, how come I'm winding up in hospitals, but all the adopted kids are getting foster homes. <laughs> like that meant that like I got the the lower end of the totem pole because when you're adopted, you actually have eyes on you. When you're a biological kid in foster care, you have eyes on you. Like my grandparents, they had to send us miles away. So our grandparents didn't have eyes on us, didn't have access to us. So it's just, there's like a huge difference in foster care. It's very diverse. You have immigrant kids, you have biological you have adopted kids, um, you have orphans. Um, it's just, they're not all treated the same. 
and they're not prioritized or given the same access to information or even just like normal activities, you know, like being in lockdown treatment facilities, you're kind of isolated from society. You're not allowed to watch TV. You're not allowed to read the newspaper. You're not allowed to even have shoelaces or a belt or just like regular, you're not allowed to listen to music without staff around. You're not allowed to have phone calls or write to your family without it being read or observed or, yeah, it's super regulated, um, which is like borderline like infringing on your civil rights. Even though you're a kid doesn't mean that, you know, you don't have some basic human rights and they take that all away in in these placements in foster care. Yeah, like even inmates get rec time where they can sit around and watch TV, play board games or whatever. I mean, you're talking like, you know, rapists, murderers, uh, serial offenders, you know, felons, whatever, whatever it is. They get rec time and TV time, but like foster kids are being thrown into these basically government run I guess kid prisons. I mean, I, I can't see what kind of treatment the government actually gives that's beneficial. Um, but it, it sounds like it's just a, a place to throw kids in between, just to make sure that these companies are getting their paychecks before they send them on next to, to, to the next home. Oh yeah, judges are involved. A lot of judges, when they refer a kid, they get a kickback. When when a lawyer, your attorney at litem they're real friendly with these judges and they know how to navigate the courthouses. So they, you know, they, they buddy up with each other. They all know who each other are. And I think we found out like mine was Aspen education. So it wound up being Mitt Romney who owned a lot of the programs, these schools, these RTCs, these uh, therapeutic boarding schools is what they call it. Like there's a bunch of different names for them. But they're all outside of the household of a family. So they're all congregate care. They're they're ran by staff members. A lot of the staff members are from, not to down on like a religion, like a specific one, but the Mecca of this industry is in Utah. And so there's a lot of Mormons who are running these businesses. And a lot of the congregation of these churches are the staff members that are the day-to-day, -day, you know, people that are just there to take care of us and they're not they're not educated they're they're not um they're just not people that i would trust as a student going through college taking psychology and biology i just don't understand how you could hire people from a church and then be congregation people and that that be enough for you to have around teenagers that might need more attention you know a lot of us are medicated so you never know if you're on the wrong medication and you act out but it's not because of you it's because of whatever meds they're putting you on you know and it's like you never you, these staff are not equipped to handle the um the type of, of children that are even going to these places so it's just it had it has always been a very like unusual experience that I had out of state to be around a lot of Mormons <laughs> and hear about their religion and the difference between Christianity and, and Mormonism. But um, yeah, you kind of have to play play the game and you kind of have to like fake it till you make it. And I, I just, 
I wound up going to like the church. They would like take me to church because it was the only place that they would take me off campus. But yeah, it was it was just definitely like they tried to indoctrinate you. They tried to like brainwash you and, and condi- like it was a behavior modification program. All of them are. So they they use a lot of um, fear tactics and mongering with the parents and the children that are involved. And I think for the court, for the law to be involved in that and to put taxpayer dollars towards that type of um, pseudoscientific therapy is a waste of taxpayer dollars. Yeah, I mean, if, if you, uh, I don't see how people look at the government, with, which is run by the likes of Matt Gates, who was caught grooming high school kids, underage girls in high school, grooming them. And these are the people that you think should be in charge of your children. When you look at the public education system, like teachers like, oh, your six-year-old is hyperactive. He's poorly behaving. He's six, or he's, yeah. he's a kindergartner, or he's one, or, or he's in first grade, whatever, whatever the case is. And they're like, oh, we should give them a bunch of drugs that we know are not beneficial long term to these kids. I can, and the, the same thing about public education is parents still have rights. Parental rights still exist, as we've seen over the last couple of years. The scary thing is what you're saying is like basically the parents in the foster care system become the government and they can do whatever the fuck they want to do. And that is scary because even in the military, you have the ability to deny certain medical procedures, like not vaccines and stuff like that. But like they can't sit there and force you like you being like in your platoon, just having a good time. And then say, say uh, like an off color joke or whatever, just something that people don't like. And then just throw you into a fucking facility where they take your laces and TV time and all that stuff. That is fucking insane. Yeah, you don't get court-martialed for banter. But in these types of places, they will pull your pants down, and we call it booty juice when you get booty juiced. Yeah, like if you have an episode or you're doing something or you're yelling or being aggressive, like they will take you to a seclusion room, get a cocktail of Geodon and Ambien and just like different medications to sedate you, and they'll pull your pants down, and right under your butt cheek, on your thigh, they'll inject you with booty juice and you're basically knocked out after that. And, you know, for trauma with me, like having a dad that was sexually abusive, having like people drag me to a room, hold me down, pull my pants, inject me with something and me fall asleep and then wake up not knowing or remembering. It was very traumatic to be and that's why I say it was it was more of like trading one traumatic environment for another. And neither one of them were okay. It's just, it's harder for me to get over the trauma that I went through in foster care than it is my mom's death and my dad's abuse. And that should tell a lot of people something about our foster care system. So one thing I did want to touch on too, um, was so this is the i guess kind of what you're sharing now is kind of how it is for a lot of american citizens kids like kids who are american citizens um how is it for kids who are coming across the border looking for a better life who are taken from their parents is it worse i can imagine it's probably worse. worse it's so much worse i mean some of these kids come over pregnant because of the journey 
over and some of the things that happen. Um, and, and believe me when I say these people know what they're getting themselves into. They're making these choices and they know the sacrifices that are, that are gonna come on the trip and after, and they're still willing to take that journey. So not trying to take away from that, but some of the kids that do come over, they take their babies away. Once, they're, once they, they give birth to them, they take their kids away. And I've sat down with some of these, these kids in, at St. PJ's here in San Antonio, Texas. And they would ask me in Spanish, like, do you know where my baby is? Do you know where they keep the babies? I haven't seen my baby. So here I'm over here thinking like, oh, here's a St. PJ's Catholic, you know, homeless shelter place that's supposed to be helping all these kids. And they're over here taking these other children's children away from them and probably putting them up for adoption, you know? So I, I, I think that they go through a little bit, you know, a different threshold of trauma, but I think they definitely get funneled into the process of what they're doing to Americans. Yeah. I mean, cause you'll see the AOCs who will go to the border and say, Oh, look at these kids in cages. And then never talk about what you just talked about. Never once. And then most of the people who are going to listen to this later or watching now, this will be the first time anybody's ever heard this because nobody talks about it. Everybody talks about police reform, gun reform, uh, you know, criminal justice reform, uh, whatever, whatever the fuck it is. Nobody's talking about this. And one thing I have always, always said, and I will fight anybody tooth and nail, this is the hill I die on. Children are the most vulnerable section of our population because of the simple fact that they cannot defend themselves legally, physically, or typically mentally because most kids are just, they don't understand the world around them. And so the government is taking advantage of them. Adults are taking advantage of them. The system is taking advantage of them. And then now you're seeing kids who are being, you know, taken advantage of on a 2,000 mile walk from, from these uh, you know, South American or Central American nations looking and clinging to a better life here in the U.S. just to find out that they're going to lose everything that they thought they were going to get and lose their baby in the process, which is fucking abhorrent. And it's, that alone should be enough for people to look at this government and say no more. Yeah. And, and this is both sides. Like, this is Democratic-ran places. People... I think Mitt Romney is a Republican, is he? But he votes like Democrat. I don't know. He's like a rhino, I think. Mitt Romney's is just a piece of shit. But yeah, yeah. I think he's a Republican. You know, yeah, I know. I hate him so much. But yeah. I, I can't imagine yeah. why being in one of his facilities. Yeah. And for, for most of his places to be shut down for child abuse, like if you look up Aspen Education, you know, it. a, a lot of the insurance companies, I think it's Acadia Healthcare bought out and that's the thing with these places. They can get shut down. We have campaigns. I'm with the We Warn Them campaign. Um, we also have done a little bit of work with um, other people on Facebook that have done groups with survivors of these placements. Um, and there's unsilenced, breaking code silence. Um, I think there's one for like pray for our angels. It's like people who have died in the facilities, people who have died of like overdoses. We think a lot of people who suffer from substance abuse, it's because they made us chemically dependent on a lot of the medications that they were 
treating us like guinea pigs, you know, for these pharmaceutical companies that they make contracts for. But yeah, like a lot of those meds, when you can't get it from a doctor anymore, you're going to find it on the street or a good alternative for it. And so... Yeah, because Adderall is just what, methamphetamine or whatever the hell it is. It's basically just prescription level uh, narcotics that you would go to prison for. And now they're pumping kids full of it. Like, we don't understand why there's a drug and problem. And blaming them for being chemically. Yeah. And the, yeah. So yeah. they're funding you from one shitty system into the next shitty system so that these same companies, I guarantee you, if they, if you look at the parallel between the companies that are running these foster care systems or these foster care homes or the, the system, essentially, I guarantee they also have their hand in the prison industrial complex. I would almost bet money. Probably. Yeah. And then once you shut one down, all they do is change their name and open up the same. They don't even change buildings sometimes or property. They just change the name of the LLC because there's a lawsuit or there's a, you know, investigation or whatever. So all they get to do is just like shut down that shell company, open up another one. And they have the money and they, they have the, the lobbyists to go into court and be like, no, we need these programs. And we need the government to fund, you know, more of these projects. I like to say they're projects. They're very controlled studies being done. So, yeah, it, it's more of like we're, we're lab rats more than anything else. And a lot of them have been shut down for doing like, uh, what is it called? Placebo testing. So people were paying for medication that were sugar pills and stuff like that. So... There's just a big wow. malpractice going on, especially with pharmaceutical companies involved with children who are on psychotropic medication. Man, this is this is the craziest thing. Like people, people all the time say, "Well, you know, without the government, we wouldn't have beat the Germans during World War II." Well, for those who don't know, who haven't done a lot of study into the Germans, what the scientists were doing. They were actually taking kids out of concentration camps and doing experiments on them. Because guess what? Guess who is the most uh, malleable as they're in their developmental stages? Kids. Holy shit. Turns out the U.S. government, who was smuggling German scientists back to the U.S. during Operation Paperclip. CIA files, you can pull that shit up on their website. They don't even care anymore. But they're doing the same thing. And they're like, eh, we're going to use your money to fund it. And we're going to pretend like it's a good thing. And then where do you think most like foster kids that don't get to mend those estranged relationships with their family, if they did have family, they wind up like on the streets. A lot of other foster kids that don't have any family, they wind up in jail. A lot of these people on the streets wind up in jail. A, a lot of the people that you find as the scapegoats of society, you'll see that it started when they were children and they were not. They didn't slip through the cracks. They were shoved through the cracks because nobody wanted to deal with them. You know, like even today, like being a disabled, you know, student in college, I have accommodations. And I don't know how I knew that I was going to come into trouble, but I decided to become a dog trainer and train my own service dog. And I chose my service dog to be a pit bull for a reason, not only because it resembled my attitude and my personality, but because they were the scapegoat in their species, how I was experiencing in foster care. 
um, they were euthanized a lot sooner than other dogs when, when I was volunteering at the pound before I became a dog trainer. But it's what made me want to become a dog trainer. I wanted to better the relationship that pit bulls had with society. And so I, I chose to train him and I'm going through this ordeal with a foster care program that's been implemented into my college, uh, my community college and the university. I, I go to, to two colleges. So um, it's just very disheartening to be discriminated against and then use my dog as an excuse for them to discriminate against me just because I have outspoken opinions about this program and where the grant money is going. Same thing, grant money is, is taxpayer dollars. The government is giving this program money to fund a program to help a vulnerable population. And BCFS so, and BCFES are the, are the names of the program. And so the college are, is involved with the program? Yeah. So oh, are they the ones that is running that program? They're contracted with the state. So yeah, there's a lot of programs that are, are given money by the state to help all these foster kids and like foster parents and families and adopted. And it's all just businesses to get free money from the government. Oh, okay, so, so, so I wanna kinda back it up a little bit. So the college isn't in the business of like raising kids. It's they're, they're getting money yeah. for foster kids that are Perfect. going to the school. That outreach. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, I'm, I'm sitting there thinking like, like some college is trying to like cram a bunch of kids into a classroom somewhere and just letting them stay, which, yeah. I, which I can imagine is a lot of foster programs. But I was like, what in the hell? Like who, who convinced people that a college should raise kids? Um, well, I, I think that there should be a college for foster kids. I think that all college, I think all foster kids should be going to like Harvard, Stanford, um, Oxford. Let's let's start taking them out of domestic. Like we should be paying for foster kids to be getting like a great education, not having to like struggle. I, I had to struggle a lot. They have a lot more programs now than when I was going to college. I've been going to college for a minute, but it wasn't until COVID that they started like actually implementing these other programs in the schools and universities and stuff. So, but I, I'm coming to find out they're just an extension of foster care, just at the college level. And it like, it pisses me off. Cause I'm like, I can't get rid of you. And I, but now I can critique you. And when I was in foster care, I couldn't critique them because my voice didn't matter. Now as an adult, you can't silence me. So, now you're going to try to ostracize me, bully me, discriminate against me. You can do all that, but there's consequences to doing that in the law. So I have to fight the good fight, you know, and kind of be that stepping stone to the standard that I want Texas to be at with foster care and education. So one thing I kind of wanted to backtrack to a little bit, too, if you don't mind talking about it. Um... You, so you said that the college discriminated against you because of you and your your, your service dog, correct? Yeah. So if you don't mind sharing what like what they were doing, like were they preventing the dog from going to classes, or what? Like they banned him from campus, or what was the deal with that? So the thing is, is that first off, they lied about my dog 
defecating on campus in a hallway, um, which is not true. I've been an online student since COVID started and I didn't go to classes this semester, the summer semester that they said this happened. Um, but yeah, so they lied about my dog not being housebroken, which he is. Um, but it was, it was at the UTSA campus downtown here in San Antonio. There, the program was having an event that everybody was invited to. And I'm a member of the program. I've been a member for like two years. And I went to the event with my service dog, but they had the campus police posted up. Like before I got there, they had them sitting at an observation desk to look out for me to make sure that I wasn't allowed access to the event. Yeah, and I have I have the I had to do a Title IX with UTSA. So a Title IX is like when you're discriminated against or sexual harassment or any of your like civil rights are violated on campus, you have to file a report. And I filed one with the campus police and the the sergeant, Sergeant Major, I guess that's what his name was. Um, he said that he didn't want me to go after his police officer. So he wrote up the Title IX in a way that targeted the program, which where the accountability really lies, because the program manager, the, the director is the one that told the cops to be there. And so now in the report, they're trying to throw each other under the bus because what they did was against the law. And it's kind of funny because I'm just like, y'all should have known better before. I, I did snicker a little bit when you said I was an online student with my dog shit in the hall. I was like, do they have cameras at your house? Like, I mean, I don't understand how they justify this. Like, what do they like? Let's say you theoretically sue them, right? And they go to court, like, here's a picture of her dog shitting in the hallway, and it's a picture of your house. You're like, what the fuck? Yeah, and that's what I asked when I first, like, when the cop was like, oh, you're not allowed because your dog has been disruptive. And I'm like, where's the proof? Where's the documentation? Because you, as a campus police officer, you cannot use your authority just off of hearsay. You know? Like, you have to have well. They do a lot. I guess if you're going to discriminate against a service, somebody with a service animal, you know what I mean? Like you should you have a cause for it. Correct. Yeah. There should be records of that service animal. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I'm going to say this like, there are people that legitimately should have service animals. <laughs> However, I work in a retail industry where people will bring in their fucking chihuahua in their arms and say it's a it's a support animal. I'm like, that is not a support animal. That is an overgrown rat. If you're carrying it, it's not a service dog. I promise you. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. And I, I honestly, I get overwhelmed in big crowds of people. Um, I'm, I'm only four foot nine. So I'm a very short individual. Um, and I've experienced a lot of trauma in my life, you know? So having a pit bull next to me kind of wards people with questionable characteristics away. And it's just, it just makes it, he helps me function. He does pressure points when I do get anxious, he'll sit on my feet. And that's kind of like a body cue to me to like take a breath, calm down, and I start like doing my senses, like what am I smelling? What am I touching? What am I seeing? And those are like just therapy techniques to bring you back into the moment. 
Um, but he, he knows when to do that. Even when I pay it like a register, he'll watch my back. Like he'll sit down and so, cause I feel really paranoid with people behind me and I don't know what people are doing. Maybe cause I'm institutionalized like that, but I'm that type of person that sits next to a wall in the back of the corner of the room where I can see everybody and everything. Watch the entrance and exit. Yeah, yeah exactly. And so he, he's just a really good tool and guide. And he also brings me my meds in the morning. So he, he has tasks and he's trained to be there for my PTSD, my anxiety. Um, and he just helps me function. I don't use him every day. I don't need to use him all the time. But when I go to places that I don't know, or I'm meeting people that I don't know, he definitely helps me with my anxiety a lot. One thing you did bring up earlier is like the, the symmetry on why you picked a pit bull. I actually am a huge fan of pit bulls for the simple fact that they are immensely loyal animals. They will do any, like once, once they have, like once you have their trust, there is almost nothing you can do to break that dog's trust. It will do anything you ask it to do. It will rip the arm off of Santa Claus as he's flying over your house. He don't care. Like I, those are one of my favorite dogs. They're super smart. They're super loyal, and just like every other animal, except for humans, as long as you train them right, they will. They will do. Other oh god, I love dogs. I hate cats. I hate snakes. <laughs> love dogs. I I mean I love both. I like cats and I'm more of a dog person. I became a dog trainer because I just like being with dogs. They were the best therapy that I ever had. I mean, compared to any therapist, psychiatrist, medication program, me volunteering at a just like the city pound was one of the best experiences I ever had in my life. Like coming to like counseling and therapy. It was that animal connection that restored my empathy and humanity in a time where it was a very like pivotal moment where like I was becoming an adult and I was deciding what kind of person I wanted to be. And it was these dogs and cats at the pound that kind of brought me out of that cynical mindset of like, fuck the world, fuck people, fuck life, you know? And instead of being super nihilistic and, and, and I struggled with suicidal ideation and attempts as, as a teenager. So I don't know. It was just, it, it was like, okay, like they, they, they can have a purpose. Like we can use animals to help foster kids. Like I could have very like benefited from a, a service animal instead of medication, you know, like, Imagine having ADHD and having to walk out of class, but you have a service dog. So it's not that unnormal to walk out of class because maybe your service dog needs to go take a potty break or something. Nobody's questioning why you're, you know, gone. And like me, I used to get like questions from my peers. Like you say you're going to the restroom, but then you never come back to class. And I'm like, yeah, because I, I have accommodations at school. If I don't want to be in class, I don't have to be in class. But like the code word to all my teachers was, oh, I need to go to the restroom. And I was just like doing laps around the campus until the next period or something. But you get accommodations like that as like somebody who's not like neurotypical. If you have a hyperactive mind, you should be able to get up from class and go walk around until you're ready to come back and focus. And I feel like that's helped me a lot 
um, especially with COVID, when everything was locked down and everybody had to do everything on screens, it, it was an adjustment, but it was like, oh, this is really accommodating. Like I can really effectively use my time at home while I'm simultaneously doing school. So it was really, really cool to um, kind of be in charge of like my complete schedule as an adult. But you really, I really had to work through a lot of trauma to even get to that point where I could manage my own time and get back into school. And, you know, I, I have to go to doctors, there's doctor's appointments, there's school, and then there's home life. And all of that's really hard to manage. But I, I feel like I've, I've, I have it down pretty good now. It's just a matter of doing my advocacy work can bring up a lot of memories and trauma that's it's relatable to some um and that's kind of like where you you get lonely in this advocacy work because not a lot of people experience it from the foster care perspective so it, it's just weird being an adult now and explaining it to people because i'm sure a lot of people have questions and i encourage people to reach out um they can reach out to you or me um, and I, I will be more than happy to answer any questions that people have, maybe more in depth, like if they have like a, a personal situation, but it really does depend, um, like varying on people's family dynamics, how you get into this like troubled teen industry and experience these type of therapeutic worlds. Um, they're all, they're all done with good intention. I do have to say that I think the people in the front that are working like face to face with parents and children. I think that those people like the caseworkers and the counselors and even your teachers, um, I don't think they understand how big of a, a problem that they're a part of. So that was hard for me to understand as a kid. I'd be like, oh, all y'all are the same thing. You wanna generalize me with all these kids. I'm gonna generalize all of these adults. And I think I, that's like probably the biggest thing that I learned through the process of learning everything that I've learned is that some of the adults are not even aware that they're a part of the problem. Um, yeah, it's kind of like when, what I was talking about earlier with like the, uh, you know, soldiers who are going into the military, you know, they, they don't fully understand the full repercussions of what they're doing. All they understand is that I'm doing the right thing. I'm the good guy, right? I'm going to go to Afghanistan and blow up a school, or I'm going to go to Iraq and blow up a hospital. Like, I'm doing this for the right reasons. And then they get out, and they kind of, or they'll, while they're in, they kind of take a step back and look at like, this isn't right. And then they get out, or they realize when they get out, I don't attribute malice to everyone. I will t I'll be one of the first people to talk shit about cops because that is the most interaction most people have with government every single day is your local law enforcement. But a lot of those people, especially when they first start off, they think they're doing the right thing. And then the corruption sets in, especially with law enforcement, or they, they just get so used to the system or they're scared to leave because this is the career they've had. They want to just retire. And I can see that. that, that that's a problem. I mean, long term, it goes from good intentions to, once again, it's about the money. It's about I got to make sure I have an income for my family. I've got to make sure that, you know, I don't waste the 15 years on the force that I've had. Or, you know, I've worked at this children's hospital or not children's hospital, but this uh, treatment center for, for 15 years. I'm five years away from retirement, getting a benefits package or whatever it is. And so, and I get that. that 
while you're in, it is immensely difficult to see uh, a lot of that because you're like, these people are abusing me. I'm being abused. Why the fuck are you doing this to me? So I, I don't, I don't, I don't yeah. think you're wrong in that. I would have conversations with some of my caseworkers, and in a matter of two years, like my last two years of foster care, I had five caseworkers. So that was because of turnover. That was people quitting, you know. And a lot of these caseworkers, they're students. So imagine the student is like, "Oh, I'll, I'm going to sign this contract, agreeing to this program that's contracted with the state." So they're going to do all their externship hours with um, the HHS, the DFPS, Department of Family Protective S Services. Um, and the, the school has a contract with the state, and that's how they make money with students coming in and being caseworkers for their externship hours. And then when they're done with that, they get their degree, and then they're no longer a caseworker anymore. So we're kind of just like, we're also being exploited for educational benefit of another person. And they're kind of forced to do what policy says because th their degree is contingent on th that externship deal that they did. And I'm like, I never really like, I guess as, as a teenager, I was a lot older than my age, but to have a conversation with a caseworker and her explain to me, like, it's not you, like, I'm not leaving because of you. I'm leaving because I'm a student. I'm this, this, I'm, I'm done with my time. Like, it's like, they know what they're doing is like traumatic, but they can't help it, like help but do it because they think that in the long run, it's gonna benefit us. So there's always this like justification that I never could wrap my head around. And I'm just like, okay, I have to step up to the plate. I have to be, you know, I have to go into psychology. I have to show them that it can be done ethically. You know, it, it can be done humanely and without violating civil rights, basic human, you know, rights. Um, but that's gonna take a long time. I'm still in school. So building that is gonna take, you know, decades. But I, I definitely want people to understand how it's not like a first world problem. Like the, if you ever hear anything about the troubled teen industry, it it's not a first world problem. The first world is choosing to put their money into a problem like that. But um, we as people should be more upset and angry. Um, and I think that it's not until then that people are actually gonna take action and like hold our government and our states accountable because every state is different with cps so well i think that's why people like you are so fucking important right because i have done a lot of political research on a very broad spectrum of issues and i have never heard any of this shit and like people like you have yeah people like you have to bring this information forward and that's why i love out, uh, outlets like uh, like the show or whatever i mean this is minuscule to like the joe rogan experience or yeah. cnn fox news whatever the fuck but you'll never see this on mainstream media because it's it's opposing the system that they support. But it is important that people like you are beating down drywall, so to speak, and just tearing into the next room where everybody's hanging out at. They're keeping y'all isolated. Bust into that fucking room like the Kool-Aid man be like, what's up? And like, tell them what's going on. Then It's important because without people like you, no one will ever know because guess what? People will live their day-to-day -day lives 
living in this blissful harmony of ignorance of, of the actual world around them. Like most people don't know how many homeless people live on their street and it's probably more than they're willing to accept. Yeah. But this information is real. They think the first world is, you know, uh, like this glitz and glamour, you know, Emerald City, you know, nothing's wrong. But underneath, the, the truth is it's, it's all a facade and it's all disgusting and dirty on how we treat other people. So one other thing I wanted to bring up, because um, I think this is also very, very important according to like everything we talked about so far. What, in your opinion, do you think the solution moving forward is? And I think that kind of stems into the petition you have, but what do you think the solution is that helps these kids get out of these horrible situations and get into something better, whatever that may look like. So for me personally, I think that we need to create a committee um, of people like myself and other survivors, other government officials. I'm not saying for more government. I'm just saying that with all the funding that we do put into programs and departments, we should have a committee of people who are overseeing um, foster kids that are being put into these placements. And they should be able to have, sorry, excuse me. It's all good. Oh, they should be able to have like a representative that they're able to go to aside from their caseworker, aside from their attorney at litem, aside from the courts, like a separate entity that's more independently ran by local people. Um, and yeah, just more oversight and regulation of how these children are doing, having people go and check on them, uh, overviewing their, their medications, um, maybe doing better blood panels. Like I came out with an autoimmune disease that actually accounted for a lot of the behaviors that they were trying to pin on mental illness. It was actually a biological like endocrine problem. So it was like a hormonal deficiency that was happening. And if they would have just fixed that, there would have been no reason to put me on all those psychotropic medications. Um, but yeah, so just like a better overall wellness check by like a committee of people, I think is what we really, really need because we're not gonna get rid of these facilities. We're not gonna get rid of the way that we house and separate certain demographics of children. That, that stuff is never gonna stop but the, how we can make those places safer um, for now, like getting started on the work, is by making sure there's a funded committee of people who care and can see through the bullshit, you know? So what would it be like, uh, I think, uh, so I'm gonna ask this, cause I, I'm really interested in, in this part. Uh, well, I'm interested in all of it, but I think the solution is very important too. Um, so would it be beneficial to have like a third party entity that's not tied to government, that's not being funded by government, that's not being subsidized by government in any way? So like I'm in the automotive industry, so we are beholden to what is called the ASE, which is the Automotive Standard of Excellence. This is like a third party that is not government controlled at all that sets standards for the automotive industry nationwide. And they say this is what's acceptable, this is what's not, this is, this isn't, whatever. Every shop I've ever worked at or I've ever seen understands those principles, whether they adhere to them or not, that's up to you. But then if they don't adhere to those standards, guess what? There's also another third party that holds them accountable, which is the BBB. 
Better and Business Bureau. Better Business Bureau. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like exactly. I think every state. I think all of these places should have like a registry, and like somebody should be checking them. Like there should just be exactly what you said. Um, you independent entities that know how to get the job done and actually want it done because the standard is what's important. Um, and then another thing is like that committee and those people um, should be responsible for like legislation, um, any legislation specifically like having to do with that state, that county, whatever they would have to do paperwork wise to safeguard children. So if they can't stop it because it's not against the law, then make it somehow, some way written in legislation that it is against the law um, and get that passed through through bills, you know, start getting people to sign petitions and people to sign your bill, um, get out into your community and start talking about it. Because the more you talk about it, then people are more aware of the problem and you'd be surprised. There's a lot of good people out there. You know, there's, there's some people out there that are just in it for, you know, the, the clout and for, for attention and to have their name associated with something that looks like they're doing something good. Um, but then there's other people out there who are just like, Oh, this is, this is not okay. Like we need to do something about this. And I've, I've come across a lot of people like that. And you know, I'm sitting here, you know, talking to people like you guys who are ready to do the work, whether we're paid or not, we just know that the job needs to get done. Um, and that's where I'm at, like in my life as a student, I just want, I want my, my past trauma to be turned into something of like a guidebook for other kids or parents or caseworkers, lawyers, you know, there's a perspective out there that's not being told and maybe it's because a lot of people haven't worked through through that stuff. They kind of just want to forget about it and move on. But I can't do that as a person because every time I think about doing that, I'm like, there's a kid out there somewhere <laughs> going through what I went through and I'm not doing them a service by keeping quiet. And it really wasn't until a kid named Cornelius Frederick died in a facility around the same time that George Floyd died. And I was kind of like, why is everybody going crazy over this grown man? Like there was literally a black child that w was restrained to death in a facility and nobody cared about him. So I was kind of like, and he was a foster kid. So I, I almost- Because it opposes their system. That's yeah, why. Like, I mean, it's, it's a hard answer, but that's the answer. Yeah. Yeah. So I was just kind of like, it kind of kicked my butt into gear. And it was like, you, you can't leave those ones that didn't get to live behind. So I, this is going to be a heavy burden. I'm going to throw at you here. But I would love to see you do something, some kind of organization that specifically uh, targets these bad entities. Because, I mean, once the information gets out there and people know what's going on, I hate to say it, but money turns the world. People will throw money at, at fixing this. What, so if you, if you are the organization that opposes these giants, people love an underdog. That's the crazy thing about America is people love a fucking underdog. And guess what? 
I can, I could, uh, if you want to, I can set you up with some people who have built grassroots organizations that are doing, they're, they're fighting a hundred fights all at once, but they can help you get in the right direction. If that's something you wanted to do, it's a heavy, it is a heavy load to bear. I can tell you, like, I've, I've seen people start up packs from nothing, um, but it, it is a heavy load to bear. But any fight worth fighting is, you know, the way it's worth it. Um, but I, you get it set up, by God, I'll be the first fucking donor you have because I would love to see a lot of these kids end up in better homes because, like I said, it, it's the kids are the most vulnerable among us. And people abuse them every fucking day in every single way that they can because it's easy. Nobody wants to be a predator against someone their own size. That's why you see, you know, seven foot, 380 pound bodybuilders attacking women because it's fucking easy for them. They're not going to find a guy in their own weight class. So. Yeah. And that's, well, we warned them has done a lot of work. We do a lot of work with institutionalized child abuse naira national youth rights association i'm a volunteer intern for them um so i i know a little bit about like nonprofits, and we're, we're trying to i'm trying to make a 501c4 so a 501c4 is a nonprofit, but i'm able to use that any funding or money that i'm able to um like fundraise for it would be allocated towards legislation, outreach, um, campaign. 501c3s, they can't. You can't use any funding or donated money towards campaign or political stuff. So um, I do know that much. I do know that I have to do like a specific type of um, nonprofit in order to fund the type of work that I'm doing. I just don't know how to like file the paperwork yet or like i haven't come across that bridge i'm just i'm at the beginning of where i want to be i'm just trying to use my student time to simultaneously do the same work um hopefully you know being on college campuses can get the word out as well in my community so i look forward to getting people voting and um and like doing work in my community as if like I, I'm being the example that I, I know that every foster kid can be. And I want the community to see that as long as we're supported, we'll probably wind up better than your your kids. <laughs> no offense, but um, foster kids have a lot of potential. We're just not given the time of day or the opportunities, the attention that we need. Um, and I think as adults, like education is a huge, like you get to start over, you get to go to college, you get to re reinvent yourself, um, find something that you're super interested in. And that's what I like. I really cheerleader, I guess if I'm a cheerleader for anything, it's education. Cause I think that that's our way out of trauma. Um, and you also get paid for it. You get paid every semester for as many classes as you're taking. So if you need a part-time job, you know, you're also getting paid as a student. And a lot of foster kids don't know that. You get college for free. So any money that you get through financial aid, you get to pocket that money. And you can use it for bills, you can use it for a car, you can use it for whatever you need. Um, so continuing your education is always a good option to take. Um, so yeah, if I was to leave anybody off with anything is just look out for moral exemplar, because that's like the name of my 
my thing. Um, and we, we will be, you know, continuing our work and trying to accumulate more foster kids to be a part of like education and civic servants in our community who are, who are morally, ex moral examples of what we want our foster kids to, um, to like come off as, because we have a very ne negative connotation associated with foster kids. So I, I kind of want to change that association of just because you're a foster kid doesn't mean that you're not worth people's time or attention or money. If anything, you know, you're, you're worth it more because <laughs> you need it more. So never be scared to ask for help. So if anyone's interested, anyone is interested, uh, here is Kayla's uh, change of petition. The link is right there. Um, it's in the comments on YouTube, Twitch, and Facebook. So go check it out. Sign it. Donate. Do what you got to do. Um, overthrow a treatment center and free those kids if you need to. Whatever you got to do. Um, I mean, I'm, at this point, I'm going to make T-shirts that says "Arm the Children." And yes. then, I mean, like. Like, armed minorities are harder to oppress, and I can't think of more oppressed people than kids. So, I mean, I mean, look, I can I can teach my six-year-old how to shoot. I'm fairly certain I can teach, like, adolescents to shoot. I mean. I'm down. This, we can have a shooting range campaign little Don't, hey, don't get me thinking. <laughs> For legal reasons, these are jokes. Um, <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> Anyways, uh, no, but for, but seriously, um, I really appreciate you coming on tonight, Kayla. That's holy shit. Like, I am probably going to spend the next three hours when I should be sleeping uh, reading all up on this shit because there is an entire underground system of child trafficking that we claim we're fighting against. But guess what? You can't fight against it if the government's running it. Um so these fucking pieces of shit need to uh, be held accountable. And if you do get your 501c4 set up, please, for the love of God, reach out to Susie or myself. Um, I will share the ever-loving piss out of it. And we'll donate. We'll help with whatever we can. I've been known to drive a couple states over to help with shit. Um, I don't know that I would drive to Texas. I would probably fly because that's a long ass haul. But I'll fly. I'll fly out there. Me and Susie will we'll make it a vacation and do good work and arm the kids. Yeah, no, that sounds that sounds like a lot of fun. And same thing. Like if you guys ever need any help, I'm always here. Um, I could definitely pick y'all's brains on some things. So for sure. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Like I said, uh, hit me up. Um, if you need help getting some people's attention who can help organize some of this stuff. Um, I know a lot of people mind you, you will have to be very patient with them because they're all very insane, but they're very useful. I love every single one of them. I'll send you away, but they are, they're, they're special. I got you. They, 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 they're 100 miles an hour on a one-mile-an-hour treadmill. Oh, okay. Sounds like my kind of people. <laughs> there you go. But, uh, yeah. So, Kayla, I appreciate you coming on that. And thank you so much for sharing your story. That was holy shit. It's a roller coaster. So, thank you. No, thank you. You guys have a good evening. You too. Good night. Bye-bye.
I don't even know what to fucking say. I don't know how the fuck do you end a show like that? Like child trafficking go child trafficking government edition. Sounds horrendous. It it the parallels between the DOD and child protective services is basically CPS is just a really underfunded DOD at this point. That's why I titled the episode The Business of Children. I mean soldiers, as we all know, have been used historically for drug testing. People are kind of like, eh, it is what it is. They're adults. They signed up for it. Kids, however, who are being forced into this, taken from families, literally stolen from families, parents that love them, forced into this system, experimented on, treated like dog shit, handcuffed in the middle of the night and just thrown in a fucking van and taken to who knows where. That sounds as bad as it is. I mean, that's that's worst case scenario for kids is you handcuff them, throw them in a vehicle, chain them up like a fucking animal. Like, I'm sorry. If you're in law enforcement or transportation and you need to handcuff a fucking 10-year-old, guess what? You're in the wrong fucking profession and you need to go fuck off. Yeah. You need to find literally something else yeah. in your life to do. Like there are plenty of people that will pay you good money to tie them up. Yeah, that's that's a whole thing. It's 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 on the internet. I promise. Don't look it up. It's it, it gets wild. But children need to be protected, and we're not doing it. And with cases like Kayla's and thousands, and I guarantee tens of thousands of kids nationwide. Tens of thousands of kids who are being treated like this every single day with your taxpayer money. You are funding essentially rapes, abuse, child experiments, all of these things. Without your consent. Without your consent or their consent. I mean, obviously you're not being raped with consent, but... I'll, but you know what I mean. No, like, you're, you said you were funding that without your consent. Yeah, you're yeah. funding it without your own consent. Like yeah. you, you are paying for it. You right there, you're paying for it, and you don't even know it because guess what? Nobody's talking about it except for people like Kayla. Without people like Kayla, none of this exists. It is a black ops that is hidden behind a wall of paper that nobody knows exists. And I'm going I'm be, I'm to be harsh about it. Most people don't give a shit until they hear. You gotta hear. You, you gotta have hear. to hear. You have to be educated. Look and at that. The Hill article started with Biden signed a thing where corporations can't profit off incarcerated people anymore. What about the fucking kids? Yeah. Joe Biden. <laughs> Oh, and kids. kids. No, I want a little collection I can sniff later. Yeah. Fucking asshole. But. I digress. You know, uh, you know what Joe Biden's wine collection is? 14 and under. Ew. Anyways. Um, okay, bye. <laughs> yeah, we're not going to end on that. We got to do something better than that. But in all honesty, the, this information is paramount really this is. is the most important thing like i don't my big push is gun ownership because you cannot be oppressed 
if you are armed and have a way to defend yourself. I think I have a close second. I think I have found my close second. Guns will solve pedophilia. Cut and cut and dry. Well, guns will solve this issue too. But we have to have a long term sustainable solution that isn't going to abuse kids. As Jenny Kondo is saying, kids shouldn't have to go through years of trauma and abuse in order for people to start listening to them. No, they shouldn't. Unfortunately, nobody's heard about this. This is the first time I've ever heard about the vast majority of this stuff. All of this is so below mainstream that it when when most Americans will hear it, I, this this I'm, I'm gonna be hundred percent with you right now. When most Americans hear about this, they will assume it's a conspiracy theory. Point blank, they will say there's no way kids are being treated this bad. There's no way. That's exactly what they will say. They say there's no way government is treating kids as bad. And then you start showing them the evidence. You show them articles that Kayla has written, uh, stories that uh, from kids around the nation who are who are coming forward and talking about these things. Real people, real faces that we can tie to this and say, look, it's not insane to say that this is fucking wrong because it is. These people are abusing children and getting away with it. Literal fucking pedophiles in the government are the ones controlling these kids. Of course it's a broken system because they don't want it to be right. They don't want to fix it. They have no incentive to fix it because no one knows about it. The more we bring this to the forefront, the more we harp on this, the more we hold them accountable, the more we push back against this system, they only have one choice. Well, I guess they have two. They have two choices. Either fix it or decimation. We can 100% destroy their system. 100%. Because guess what? Government doesn't exist without a people. Without someone to rule over, you are nobody. You're just a person. You're just a group of people. Bullshit. With that, go for the love of God and everything that is holy. Go sign this petition. I've already signed it. Um, donate to it if you can. If you've got money, throw it on there. I know you're signing up your tax refund. I know you're doing that shit. Throw a little bit, throw a little bit towards the petition. When Kayla gets her 501c4 set up, save some of that, save that tax money, throw it that way too. Because nothing is more gratifying than using the tax dollars they give them back to you to fight their system that they're also using your tax dollars to run. But at least this way, you get to consent to what the money's being used for, and it's to save the kids. I kind of hate saying that. That sounds so catchy, crazy, like, Mainstream media bullshit. Save the kids. Help Kayla be a pain in the ass for the government. I like that better. Help Kayla be a pain in the ass to the government. I like that a lot better. We should put that on a t-shirt. Okay. (laughs) Kayla. Help Kayla be a pain in the ass to the government. Yeah. Yeah. Like it. That's that's all better. Anyways, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and dogs, because I like dogs, not cats. Good night, good liberty, 
I love you all. Be free. Make America a better place. Peace.